What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Trigger warning. The following episode contains descriptions of graphic violence and adult language. Discretion is advised. I'm Danielle. I'm Max. And each Wednesday, we crack open a bottle of wine and dive into some thrills, chills, and spills. This is Innocent Till Tipsy. Welcome to Innocent Till Tipsy. My name's Danielle, and today I'm going to be telling a true crime story to my friend while we drink some wine. (laughs) So, what do we have? We have... (laughs) <laughs> we haven't no we have had wine it's fine we've had the verdict this evening i think it ties in really well to our true crime case um because we're going to be going over the verdict oh, and i was reading yeah the back of this beforehand and it's really cute <laughs> cute it says spooky cute. Um, <laughs> spooky cute um it says the grapes are sourced from a partner in crime a stone's throw from the estate, minimal production from this single vineyard means that only a lucky few, you can I so lucky, <laughs> will get to know the real verdict. And that kind of ties into the case. Oh, thing. yeah. Okay. So let's see. Okay. Neither of us are experts. We're not. Is it sommelier? Sommelier? I was like, oh, the wine words. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, we should have like done a class beforehand. You can educate us, all yeah, followers, likers. Tell us tell recommendations. Us, tell us I mean, what we're we picked pouring. by label. Yeah. It looks spooky, so if we're pouring poorly, you know, yeah, like, that's not you. how you do that. Okay. That's how <laughs> we do that. Tell <laughs> us how to do it, though. Yes. <laughs> Let us know. And I think this was um, roughly twenty dollars. Yes. So super. I'm like super nervous about it because it's a twist tie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, <laughs> but you know, we'll see. Are you supposed to like smell it? Oh, Cheer. Yeah. <laughs> we're very, <laughs> we're very knowledgeable. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> it smells like wine. Mm. That's surprisingly good. <laughs> I do like it. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, yeah, it's not, it's um, not overpowering. Mm-hmm. Okay. A little berries, a little bit, not like very fruitful you know like mm-hmm. i hate i hate sweet wines i'm like Ugh. yeah it's not oh. sweet mm-hmm. but it's not like overly bold or bitter yeah true i know those are wine words yeah <laughs> we've um, got those no, it's wine like really stuff. smooth yeah yeah no okay cool okay. good for twist top good for twenty dollars and yeah. a decent wine so okay and, I, and the label is cool you know for your halloween parties this year you might need a little bit of a. this is spooky it is spooky yeah it's scary okay Okay, tell me a real spooky story. Well, speaking of Halloween, this happened on Halloween. (laughs) Yeah, kind of spooky. Um, So it was actually Halloween um, of 2001. So we're right after 9-11, like if you're thinking about that time. Okay. I always like to kind of note that just because we were all kind of sidetracked by that. Not even sidetracked. That was like our main focus, the media's Millennials, it's before 9-11, yeah, it's after. Exactly. So, There's like yeah. a before. Like, okay, I kind of know where I was. That's our BC and like eight, you know, after yep. death. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So, and like, I feel like a lot of news stories were kind of railroaded over, you know, just with the focus of obviously. It was only 9-11 on TV. Yeah, which makes sense. Um, but, and like, and then the whole world, you know, super changed afterwards. 
So it was 2.08 a.m. on Halloween night. So we're kind of getting into the November 1st situation. Technically, but yeah. yeah. Halloween so, night still. Mm-hmm. And remember like the time. So at this time, um, this gentleman, Kent Heinholt, um, he was 48 years old, a sports editor from the Columbia Daily Tribune, which is located in Columbia, Missouri. Okay. Um, he shut off his computer at that time to pack up and go home. Super late night. Just, 2.08? Yeah, 2.08 Gosh, yeah, those reporters. Yeah. It's, well, deadlines. Got yeah, it. I suppose. And, like, back in that time, it, I feel like it wouldn't have been as instant, I guess, as it is kind of today, you know? They had email. It's 2001. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> the big, do you remember the big computers? <laughs> um, but, yeah, so Kent was described as, like, this big teddy bear of a man. Like, super sweet guy. Um, he was always, like, the person to take care of, like, the stray animals. He always had, like, extra cat food and dog food in the back of his... Oh, I know. Isn't that, like, so sweet? And um, just to, like, you know, give to the animals. And he just was, like... He was super big, too. He was, like, six foot five. Whoa. I know. So super big. big man. That's yeah, and guy. he was, like, very broad as well. Like, if you see photos of him, he does look like a teddy bear. Like, you just want to, yeah. like, give him a hug. Um, and he was described as, like, super sweet. Anyways, he was headed out to his vehicle. On his way to his vehicle, he spoke to one of his employees a part-time sports writer, Mike Bold, in the parking lot of their workplace. And that was the last person that saw Kent alive that night, unfortunately. Yeah, so Kent would be found at 2.26 a.m. That's when the 911 call went out. So super... like 20 minutes later. Not even, because it was like, it was 2.08. Yeah, so less than 20 minutes he would be dead. Like, can you imagine? I don't know, like, I always think about those moments, like, before, you know, that happens to you. I'm like... Because everything changed. Yeah, yeah. It's so crazy. So anyways, um, Mike, he ran into Mike in the parking lot. Last person to see him alive. The 911 call goes out to 26. They found Kent's body. Um, he had been bludgeoned out in the head 11 times with oh a God. sharp, like an object. They don't know what it was. Um, his hands and his arms um, were just like totally mutilated. Mm, defensive defensive wounds. wounds. Yeah, he was trying to protect himself. Um, and he had, which says a lot cause he's so big, yeah. six, five, like, but you know, like that must've been like, it was such a, a quick attack, mm-hmm. like almost like a frenzy. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause just looking at the time frame, um, and his car had been rummaged through. So it looked like it had been robbed. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure on the items that were stolen, but there were things stolen from the car. Um, newspaper, like, um, little columns were like all over, like littered the floor, like around his like car yeah you know? so it's like a frenzy because mm-hmm. that's really quick again it's like such yeah. a short, short time window yeah and um his cause of death was strangulation he had been strangled with his own belt um and they only ever found the buckle so, so that's really brutal that's super brutal yeah um so there were no witnesses to the murder um two janitors would later say that they had seen two individuals near heinholt's body like when they they made the call um, one of the individual, individual ugh, one of the individuals had screamed for help, um, like to get help for him. So oh. I often wonder if like those individuals were like good Samaritans. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because like, like I mean, you don't really commit a huge, uh, brutal crime and mm-hmm. then call for help. Yeah, like so. Hey, it's me. Call for help. It I mean, makes me wonder if like like, and then also were they drunk? Because it was Halloween night. So did they like run off? Do you know what I mean? Or or were they the yeah. perpetrators? But I, I still like the There's calling other for help. Yeah, so they were from a distance. The two janitors, Shauna Orant and Jerry Trump, they will come up later, but they both called 911 that night. So it was just Shauna that had called them initially, but Jerry did get on the phone as well. Police and investigators would say that Jerry didn't have any useful information for them, though. Okay. Yeah. So he was, like, just reporting. because. Yeah. Shauna, on the other hand, she was able to give them, like, one of those composite sketch, you know, of, like, oh, who yeah. she might have seen, right? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it was like a... They described it as, like, a six-foot-tall blonde man that was, like, 200 pounds. So, like, kind of, like, overweight a little bit. Like, it um, 
yeah, so that's kind of what she described. Um, but they didn't, and even though they had, like, they had so much forensic evidence, like, it doesn't make any sense to me. They had so much. They had hair. They had finger, um, you know, prints. They had stuff all over, like, where Ken Heinold's car was and where his body had been found because he was found right by his car in the parking right. lot, so, right? like, this is the scene of the yeah. crime. <laughs> they have so much stuff that going on there. But, unfortunately, this case kind of was put on the back burner. Um, totally. Post 9-11, I guess maybe we're still in a fog. I guess. But, like, it just, like, sucks that, like, it was kind of unsolved for so long because it's, like, surely with all the physical evidence and everything, you could have, like up with that but come up with something yeah yeah Yeah. a suspect of of any kind but anyways that same night that halloween night of course people are out partying you know Mm -hmm. having a good time just a couple blocks away there were two young men named ryan ferguson and chuck erickson or charles chuck erickson he was that was his nickname was chuck yeah all right Um, chuck yeah (laughs) we'll be casual (laughs) yeah well yeah he'll be chuck to us um, 17 year old boys. So both of them, they were high schoolers, right? Out partying, living the life. 17. I know. Like On Halloween. What the heck? Yeah. <laughs> Getting into drugs. They were into like, I think it was like cocaine and like ecstasy. So like, you know, party drugs. Okay, not, not like, shrooms yeah. or something. Like. <laughs> not like meth. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're, um, getting into, you know, some trouble as you do when you're young. They were able to sneak into some bars because Ryan's, I think it was a sister that worked at one of the bars. So she was able to like sneak them mm, in, okay. get them some drinks under the table, you know, a cool sister. Um, and then Ryan did drive home that night. I'm not sure if he was drunk or not, but he drove himself and Chuck home that evening. Um, so he was aware enough to make it home because yes. they, they live. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had been imbibing and partying. Yes. And, and Chuck um, was totally blacked out. So Ryan okay. still had the wherewithal. I don't know. And maybe he hadn't like imbibed that much. I don't know. I mean, you're He's 17. 17. Making bad choices, you know. Halloween. So. Exactly. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to fess up, yeah. I know bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. But, yeah. yeah. I'm no, filling the, the blanks. Okay, yes. cool, cool. Um, there's going to be, like, a there's lot. There's lots of them. <laughs> yeah, and there's, like, a lot to, like, cover in this case that I didn't even know because I knew about it, obviously, because of Ryan, um, which I'm sure, like, a lot of people watching probably are like, oh, Ryan Ferguson, that name. And it sucks yeah, that it that's the, the name bell. that rings the bell, you know, because right. it's, like, Kent Heitholt should be what rings your bell, you know, but yeah. that's, like, oh, it's, you know what what came of it right so fast forward a few years later it's the spring of 2004 right chuck erickson is like still i guess upset by that night and i mean you kind of you would be you know it's very effective that like you're out partying having fun and just a couple blocks away from you someone's been brutally murdered Mm -hmm. and during that time that chuck was like having this like feeling these feelings of like guilt and weirdness, um, the Columbia Daily Tribune released this article concerning Kent's murder and how it was still unsolved to this day. So yeah. trying to release some details. Shine some light on it. Yeah, get him back in the spotlight. Maybe we can get this thing solved, right? And he was a member of their own. Like. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So Chuck is, like, looking at this, and he's feeling like he doesn't remember what happened that night. He was totally blackout drunk. For some reason, he starts having dreams, and he thinks that maybe he was involved in this. I don't know how you get uh, there. Yeah, that's a leap. It's a big um, leap. Yeah, so I don't know where scary. that. Scary. Like, it's a, yeah, because I, I I think we've all been blackout drunk when we're young. And so, I yeah, I was gonna say like maybe dancing and done on the table stupid things. Yeah, 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 like how did I? Yeah, how did I get home? But yeah. like yeah, I not, you definitely know you did or did not murder someone. Yeah, did or did not commit murder. Yeah, so he starts asking his friends and his family. And he's like, "What all happened that night?" He even asked Ryan. He's like, "Hey, what happened Halloween night?" And Ryan was like, dude, I drove you home. Like, and he's like, we didn't have anything to do with that guy's murder. Absolutely not. Like, what the, 
Like, why would you think that? And it's that? Halloween. So, I mean, it's not just like some drunken night. You're like, what did we do on Halloween of 2001? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a holiday, you know, holiday right. night. So, like, obviously you have, you know, memories from that. It wasn't just like a weekend. Yeah. So, Ryan's like, no way. Um, and Erickson, I guess, I don't know why, but he felt led to call 911. So, he calls 911 and he tells the lady, you know that guy in the Tribune? I, I know who murdered him. Like, I killed him. And so, he gets brought in for questioning, Right. He can't tell investigators anything other than, like, what was in that article. And even oh. that, he's getting wrong. Yeah. So it was, like, imprinted subliminally or something, and he's, yeah. like, dreaming about it and, like, filling in his own blanks. But Yeah, he just, like, I don't know why he felt this, like, guilt for it. And so he he keeps saying he doesn't remember most of what happened, and so investigators kind of played into that. They're like, oh, okay, so you don't you don't remember what happened. So, that, yeah, you probably were there. So they start to hone in on Chuck Erickson. Because they had no one else. Mm-hmm. Like, four years four years later? Four, yeah, yeah, like, almost four years. It was three years, I guess. Like, okay. 2004, yeah. 2001, yeah. Yep. So then um, they, you know, of course, have to bring Ryan in because he's he's brought Ryan into this, and Ryan's just driving home. I literally couldn't imagine. He is just driving home. Police pull him over, of course. He, like, pulls, and he's pulling into, I'm pretty sure it was, like, his own apartment, like, could you imagine you're like never you're never gonna go back into the apartment again like I just couldn't I'd be like he doesn't know that yet yeah he doesn't know that but like I'm just like oh just thinking back to it you'd be like god damn it (laughs) so they police pull him over they pull him into the car they bring him in for questioning um and Ryan is maintaining I had nothing to do with this and you I would feel almost he remembers he had nothing to do with this he's like I did not kill this man and I just and and the crazy thing is as Chuck is saying like they must have killed him for drink money and he's like saying must have because he's like I'm not sure why he was getting free drinks from his sister he doesn't need drink money (laughs) I'm like you didn't need the drink money (laughs) and why would you kill someone for drink money like I don't I don't get it but like, and brutally, because this is a mm-hmm. six foot five guy that you're going to take on for drink money. I don't. Yeah. It's and you're 17. Yeah. And like you violently attack. It almost looks like a rage killing. So it's like, why the hell would you two have like done this? Well, right. It's not like mm-hmm. a gun or something. It's not like they like robbed him at gunpoint. Yeah. And you can see even like. Very hands on. Yes, exactly. And you can see even in interviews between um, Chuck. And, well, and Ryan, when you see Ryan like in the interviews, he just looks totally like shell shocked. Like he can't believe he's like my dudes. And like the investigator tries to be like. I, you know, I have a son too. I'm your friend. And I'm like, don't like just no. lawyer, <laughs> lawyer, lawyer. Just like zip it. <laughs> yeah. And, um, at, during that time too, Bill Ferguson, who's going to come up an awful lot, Ryan's dad, um, someone called them and they're like, did you know that Ryan got like taken in for questioning to the police station? And he was like, it's gotta be like a different Ryan Ferguson. You know, it's like a very generic name. Yeah. So it's like, and you would think like, it's like, it's gotta be someone else, but no. And that day, I mean, cause they don't have priors and no. they haven't done anything in the last three years. So exactly. Who? Exactly. And that very day that they were taken in for questioning, police arrested them and charged them with the murder of Ken Heidold. Which is, like, wicked fast. So fast. Why, Why would they do that? It's so crazy. I mean, so, like, test some DNA or something, but mm-hmm. to bring charges that quick is unheard of. Yeah. It's really wild. And, like, this whole thing, to me, seems unheard of. It's like they were, like, they were just dead set on getting these boys. Um, and it's really, like, it, it's honestly, like, pretty fucked up. Um so Erickson, well, they had no one else. Yeah, exactly. And this is drug on, and like again, like mm-hmm. it's a nice, quiet. It's a quiet town <laughs> in Missouri. <laughs> um, so they're looking to like pin it on somebody. Yeah, and they're like, yeah, you fessed up. Okay. Well, like you know, like everything is about statistics, right? You want to keep your town like the you know the quietest, the nicest little neighborhood. You know, so the more cases you can close, the better. It kind of sucks that it's all about numbers, but it truly is when you think about the you know. Everything in this You want to live in, a, like, a safe neighborhood. You don't want, like, a yeah. murderer running around. Yeah. So. Well, even when I, like, I moved recently and I even, like, looked up. I was like, what is the crime right here? <laughs> um, but anyways, 
So the whole, um, it seemed like they just like narrowed in. Chuck Erickson took a plea deal first and foremost. So he like, well, he was the one that gave the confession. So exactly. he's like, it was me. Hey, cut yeah. me a deal. So he's, he's serving a 25 year prison sentence just off the bat, like immediately. Um, and his plea deal was, he got this like exchange for basically getting Ryan screwed. So he was to testify against Ryan and you know, he would have this only 25 year sentence. So they go to court. Ryan's lawyer, of course, asked the normal question of what's bail going to be set at because he has no priors. Right. He's not going to flee, you know, what have you. And the judge is like, oh, yeah, let me let me think about that. $20 million. You just draw it out of a hat or what? <laughs> $20 million. That's like, it's crazy. So that was actually the highest bail ever set for first degree murder charge in the United States. Yeah, I was going to say, like, OJ didn't have that. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> and he's, like, driving around a Bronco. I mean, come on. Like, these guys are kids. So yeah. they're 20, 20, 21? Yeah, they were about, I think they were 21 at the time. They were 17, and then it's, like, three years later. Again, no yeah. priors, no nothing mm. since then. And they're like, yeah, it's you. We don't want you to leave. Yeah, so crazy. And so when the court trial started for Ryan, the prosecutor, Kevin Crane, remember that name? <laughs> Kevin Crane. Noted. He was, like, um, you're not going to see, he told the jury straight up, you're not going to see any physical witness or any physical evidence for this case at all. As a juror, you'd be like, so what why it, are we here? Yeah. <laughs> so it was all circumstantial and based on a dream. This literally meant that if Ryan got convicted of murder, he was being convicted on a dream. Right. Cause it's like not even circumstantial, like, uh, you can't say like physical circumstantial, but yeah. it's, it's a dream. It's a dream. There's nothing yeah. tangible. So it's so crazy. And it's like almost like laughable because the whole place was littered with physical evidence and none of it matched Erickson or Ferguson. Like none of it matched those boys. This is a hands-on crime yeah. and you're not putting forth any physical evidence. It's crazy. Okay. Seven unidentified fingerprints and not linked to either of them. Like it's crazy. So Eric went from knowing nothing during the interrogation. Remember, he didn't know anything. Suddenly, he was a star witness. He knew everything. Him and Ryan had done that night, even demonstrating in front of the court how they had strangled. And he's, like, blackout drunk. He doesn't even remember what happened that night, but he's like, he's oh, this suddenly, is how we did it. Yeah, suddenly he recalls all. So he's just been fed. Like, it's just obvious he has right. been fed by, um, you know, the prosecution. And he handed the prosecution every graphic detail, everything that they could have wanted. Um, and it was wild too because during the interrogation chuck had been like um he said he they'd strangled him initially with a shirt and they were like no it wasn't a shirt like can you think of something else and they're like well what if what if we told you it was a belt and he was like oh shit like was it like it's yeah. on so he didn't know any of this and suddenly he knows everything and what sucked even more was even though ryan's family was able to get an attorney from an amazing law firm the attorney was crap so he would do things like promise, um, like the world, you know, and then show up in court and not supposed deliver to be anything. on your team. Yeah, he even fell asleep during what? the court. <laughs> I'd be like, help, help. I'd be like, I need to like change attorneys here. Like, what the fuck? Like he was, and he would get mixed oh. up about things. Like, there's even like a clip during, um, you know, Dream Killer is the documentary on Netflix. And okay, that's why I ring sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they, um, he even says during that that like. Um, he, he starts to, like, name a street off, and then the prosecution gets up, and he's like, that's not the street. Like, I think you're thinking of this street. Like, he couldn't even get, like, simple facts. They're, like, not there. Yeah. Uh, and then so it's just, like, it's so sad. And then he allowed Ryan to take the stand. 
You should never do that in a murder uh, trial. Right, yeah, like you're supposed to, this is your client? Yeah, oh. so he, and he had no preparation. His lawyer didn't sit him down, tell him anything about it. He threw him in the hot seat. Yeah, he literally did. So he wasn't prepped at all, and like his father said in that documentary too, he was like, I was sitting there, you know, watching my son go up and realizing that he had no, you know, training to go up and face an attorney. And the attorneys no are there to make you look horrible you know oh, like, he's gonna like, get roasted on cross. oh yeah so he got totally roasted and you can tell his whole face you can see he's like almost given up on himself because it seems like nobody believes him and i would just like you know like what more can you say exactly. than like I, it wasn't me i wasn't there exactly like, so he just looked he looked terrible to the jury then a janitor one of the janitors jerry trump he got up even though the, the investigators at the time had said he knew nothing right Suddenly, he knew that Ryan and um, Chuck had been. Oh, at the now scene. he can identify. He can him. identify. He wasn't even them. the one that made the yeah. sketch. No, so he literally pointed at Ryan in court, which was just like it's like a done nail in the coffin, and that's yeah, what the jury said. It. They were like, "That was the nail in the coffin." He had this story. So basically, what Jerry had said happened was his wife had sent him a newspaper when Ryan and Chuck were. Um, you know, arrested, not with the intention of sending because Ryan and Chuck were arrested for yeah. this at all. He was, she was just sending him the newspaper because he was in prison sure. as a sex offender. What? Jerry Trump. Oh. Yeah. So this, like, they're like, witness. since you don't get the paper here. Yeah. So she <sighs> sent him the paper, you know, he's in prison and he said he opened it up and he didn't even read the like headline, but he saw the two boys photos and he knew immediately that that was, those were the two boys he'd seen that night. That's what he said. From inside the building, right? Like from across the parking lot. Yeah, yeah, right. But he couldn't make a sketch the next day. No, and he knew nothing. But years later, he's like, okay, yeah, it was definitely these two boys. So crazy, right? And that identification just like nailed the coffin, done. Um, And that wasn't the only eyewitness that said they had seen the two boys, right? We come back to Shauna Orndt. Now, Shauna Orndt was called up on stage just to talk about the composite sketch that she drew, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, but Prosecutor Crane, he was so, so careful in not asking her directly if it was Ryan or Chuck she'd seen that night. And he, like, skirted around everything. Well, he's, like, trying to spin his web. He's like, yeah, how can we? Yes. Of course. So, um, and she, that, that will come up later. So just note that. So those two, basically those two witnesses just, like, Nailed him in. He was convicted of first degree murder, um, of robbery, and robbery. Sentenced to 40 years in prison. 40 and the other Chuck was like 25 25 25. and he was sentenced to 40 years in prison and like you could just see Ryan's face it he wasn't like shocked like I think he had just you would just roll over you'd be like there's nothing you can say or do nothing to save yourself and then his family behind him you can see them all just like crumple like just like shattered and what really killed me was his father Bill um, I didn't know this. I didn't know this until the Chris Watts. This is such a side tangent. But I didn't know this until the Chris Watts case that um, it's the victim impact statements aren't just like the victim's family. Okay. Also, like you know, and I do recognize there's like two sets of victims, right? Sure. There's definitely like the murderer side of the family. Like they didn't know. They it. didn't do it. Yeah. And then like how shattering is it that that person that you knew and loved is like a monster, right? So I, yeah. di- I didn't know they could make statements, but they can. Um, and in this case, um, you know, Bill got up and he hadn't prepared anything. He said he, he was just like kind of, but his like, you know, pulling out of his ass, but like his statement was so like powerful. Um, someone asked him if he had done his best to his ability to try to demonstrate his son's innocence. And he said, well, up until the sentencing, you know, I thought I had, he said, but apparently, obviously, since I'm an amateur at this, I'm going to learn a lot more and I'm going to prove my son's innocence. And so will my family. And it's going to be really, really difficult. 
And if he gets the jail sentence that I'm hearing he's going to get, I'll never live long enough to see him outside of prison. I was there when he was born, and I will never see my son again. Just like, oh. I know, because what can you do? You, yeah. You're, he's, like, literally slipping away. And yeah. You'll never, I, I don't know about, like, what the prison entails either, because, like, I know certain ones you can't give hugs and stuff like that either. Like, can you imagine? Like, that's just, like, something so simple, but right. it's taken from you. And that's why we know his name. I mean, mm-hmm. because, again, it feels it feels like a victim of, yeah. of the system or, yeah. like, yeah. So it sucks. It's, like, there's almost, like, several sets of victims in this case because, yeah, but Ryan's dad, Bill, he had, he learned everything there was to know like he held true to that statement that he just came up with like I can't I couldn't believe how powerful it was when he didn't know obviously that he was gonna have to get up there and like talk that day and like huh and what the sentence was gonna be right and I'm sorry maybe it's the wine but I just want to be like shut the fuck up Chuck <laughs> shut it stop it stop <laughs> so he learned everything and he would even take people on tours of the crime scene like on walks at night and he liked to do it on the nights when the moon was full because the night that Kent Heinel was murdered the moon was full to even get the lighting right correct yeah so he and there was even like a journalist who had gotten a few the things wrong the moon was full on Halloween <laughs> so go, oh. oh and there was a murder spooky. it's very spooky um, but yeah so Kent um, or so Bill um, would walk and there was even like this journalist that had gotten things like wrong and Bill was like let me invite you to come walk this crime scene with me so you can see yeah what the heck is going on Um, well that's what's so deceiving about court because again the the jury I like I want to shame the jury for being like how could you convict him on nothing Mm. Uh yeah but they're being fed what exactly what's allowed into court and Mm -hmm. what the prosecutors like Putting on the scene, yeah, exactly. Of, and yeah. then, of course, mm-hmm. if the defense attorney, sorry, is not doing his job, mm-hmm. then you're only getting part of the story. And so, exactly. kudos to his dad for being like, "Hey, let me come out and see for yourself." Yeah. So he just like champion, and like to this day, Bill Ferguson is still fighting wrongful um, convictions, which amazing. It's always amazing to me to see what victims, families, or like someone like this who's a victim of the system, what they end up doing, you know, with it. Because so many times, like I feel almost like defeated in life, but it gives you like hope. Where you're like, no, if they can like, they like draw from this well of. Strength. Yes, I'm like, what the heck? Um, and he even had his car plastered with like free Ryan, Ryan Ferguson, his son's face, it's like driving it around. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's like a soccer mom, you know? Like, he's like, like my <laughs> son's in prison, please help. Yeah, <laughs> help me out. And they would like hand out all of these flyers and everything, like amazing. So 2009, oh, yeah. we're years after Ryan has been in prison for this long, like almost. God, it's been like six years or something. Oh so, my gosh. Miss Kathleen Zellner, who is one <gasps> badass <Yes>. attorney. <laughs> you guys may know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys may know her from Making a Murderer documentary. She's amazing. She fights wrongful convictions of people she knows and believes are innocent. And she's a badass. She's, she's out there like shooting guns, yeah. she's, like digging in, like getting her hands dirty. Yeah, she's yes. an amazing woman. So, according to her, this years prior when she was watching Ryan's sentence, she saw how mishandled it was, and she was with her husband, and she wrote down Ryan's name, and she said, if this family ever contacts me, I'm taking this case pro bono. Bono. Pro bono? <laughs> bono. Oh, no. Pro bono. Yes. <laughs> so she did. So Ryan's dad contacted her, and she took it pro bono. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Well, so I she, mean, you would be, like, writing to her, like, to get you out. I mean, like, if you're like, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. But for her to, like, select you. Yeah. Yeah, obviously. Amazing. So she takes it, and um, Chuck writes to Ryan. So remember, Chuck, his friend, actually writes to Ryan in prison when he hears that Kathleen Zellner has his case. And he says, hey, next time your lawyer's in town, can you send her over my way? Be like, no, shut the fuck <laughs> up, Chuck. <laughs> Get the fuck No. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, so Brian does send her his way. So, of course, we're thinking, like, he's going to recant. Right. He's going to tell the truth of, like, what the fuck happened. I don't think Chuck knows what... I mean, obviously, Chuck was blackout drunk. Chuck thinks he did it. Chuck doesn't know anything about anything. Sorry. Yeah. Ryan, save yourself. Exactly. I bet Catherine's working for me. (laughs) (laughs) I would... You know, You want to be in jail. Be in jail. Fine. But don't drag me in. No. So and that and that's kind of well, what and also I will say that's not fair to actually like to the family um, to whatever to there's a murderer walking hold. like don't yeah, please exactly. don't confess wrongfully exactly no, no, no please don't no, please don't no do false that. confessions please no if you just want to be in jail just go do something else <laughs> like just do it yeah I don't know okay don't don't commit crimes sorry yeah just yeah try to be good people <laughs> I know yes. like, quote Bill and Ted like be excellent to each other <laughs> yeah no but um yeah so. Kathleen goes and meets with Chuck and he does not recant, but he says that he has been feeling extremely guilty because Ryan Ferguson is an innocent man and was not there when he murdered Ken Heinold. Um, thanks, but you're already not a credible witness. Exactly. I mean, you're just like throwing dust and you're probably making it worse for Ryan. I don't know. Exactly. That's just my, that's like, it's, where does this go? But I mean, the good thing is, is like him saying that did give Kathleen the like, Stuff that she needed in order to get leverage. Yeah, Ryan back into um, court. So they ended up having a hearing. It was a habeas corpus hearing. And that's basically. Show me the body. (laughs) It's a wrong. But right. Yeah, yeah. Like, where's the evidence? Exactly. Where's the forensic evidence? And like, she, I love her. She's like, got it like listed out. I was looking through the court documents and she was like, nope, this is wrong. This is wrong. Like, I loved it. I was here for it. Because the guy was asleep Mm -hmm. at the table. Right. (laughs) Defense attorney. Come on. Horrible. So she, the the habeas corpus, basically it's called wrongful impris- imprisonment. So that's what the hearing was for, was that Ryan was wrongfully, you know, convicted of this crime. Yeah. Um, and it would be, basically this hearing was just like an apology hearing um, because everybody just started apologizing to Ryan and his family because it's freaking crazy. It wasn't just Erickson who had lied, um, but so had one of the janitors that said they had witnessed Chuck and Ryan. Yeah, so remember um, Jerry Trump, who was a convicted sex offender. I always feel like you should be really wary, too, when you're a juror at, on, you know, a case like this, and they bring up someone that's been a prisoner. Because I there's wish leverage it, like, there. Yeah, because, like, was this let into court? Like, did he have a deal? Uh, I mean, I like, why are you been... up here? Yeah. So I, uh, it's, we that... brought you out of jail mm-hmm. to come testify. So yeah. like, how cre- I mean, not to say he's not credible, but, but, but also like, then you wonder like what's been leveraged for him, you know, to, right. to say this because there's gotta be something he's getting out of it. He's not just coming up with the good of his heart, you know, to like, be like, uh, you know, so, um, prosecutor Kevin Crane, who well, back to the very beginning, he said he didn't see anything the, of, exactly. of like so the police said he didn't have anything mm-hmm. that was worthwhile. So yeah, no, very frustrating. I'm on the stand. He's got something now. Exactly. So the prosecutor, Kevin Crane, who is now a judge, by the way, now a judge. I'm cringing. If you can't see us, I'm like it's literally so, cringing. That's awful. I'm sorry. I don't, he is I don't still trust a him. judge, by the way, he is still a fucking judge. So I'm not going to call him Judge Kevin Crane. He can, <laughs> in this story, <laughs> in this in story, story, it's just Mr. Crane. <laughs> sure. um, but um, Kevin Crane had had a meeting with him and um, beforehand to talk about what would be discussed. And in the meeting, Crane says, we're fairly certain we have the two individuals that murdered Ken Heidhold. 
Um, we just need you to identify them for us. And then like, we're done here. You're not even going to be called as a witness. We just need you to like double check because we are like 99.9% sure. Well, these are trying the guys. to the case. Yeah. Fair enough. And um, he had, at the time, Jerry Trump had two years of probation holding over his head. So it's oh, very, little yeah, leverage. a little Back bit of leverage. Yeah. And um, basically he was just supposed to identify, confirm and he said that he never had seen, like, what those people looked like. Um, and that he was very easy to coerce because of those, you know, two years of probation. holding probation over your head as yes. a sex offender. Yeah. He's and trying they, to live his life. If you didn't see anything, you didn't see anything. Yeah. And they even ask him, is there anything you want to say, like, to the court? And he says, I want to apologize to Ryan and to his family because it, it wasn't him. And I'm just like, oh, shit, you know. So Shauna Ort. Shauna Ort would be called to testify. Now, she had already met with Ryan Ferguson's father. She went to like apologize to him before all of this started because the way that Prosecutor Crane had like questioned her, he never straight up asked her like, hey, was that Ryan or Chuck? I mean, she put forth a sketch. Exactly. Like probably right after. Exactly. And you're like, does this look like Ryan? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I'm sure like the defense attorney, right, didn't do his job. He didn't, yeah, and he didn't like ask or, or anything. So she already went and she walked the crime scene with Bill Ferguson because he was doing those like tours, right, and everything. Um, but anyway, she went forward and she said that, you know, he'd withheld evidence and he hadn't been straightforward. So there are two people now saying that Prosecutor Crane has withhold, withheld evidence, which is actually a Brady like um, violation. OK, so a Brady violation when the prosecutors in a criminal case fail to perform their constitutional duty to turn over helpful evidence to the people that they have charged with crimes. Yeah, to the defense team. Exactly. I mean, not that he was going to do anything with it, but like still turn it over. Mm hmm. So he's basically withheld all this evidence. From my knowledge, from what I have seen, Judge Kevin Crane has not received any, like, there's been these Brady violations that have been brought up in court, and he hasn't received any, like, punishment Wait, they're for supposed to, Yeah, they're supposed to be punished for. So I don't under, but anyways, whatever. Um, so he just, system, take yeah, a deep breath. It's oh. fine. So she went to the um, appeal court and said that it was not Chuck or Ryan she had seen that night. And to and to that point, the description of the man that she had given, that was the sketch and everything, it didn't match Ryan. Right. So anyways, so with all this evidence, you would think that Ryan's going to be released or at least get a Which retrial. That is like the only evidence that they put forth in the case. Like we have a sketch and they're like, and does there's it a dream. look like that man? <laughs> a sketch and, and like, a dream. Like, it's not that guy, but I think I dreamt it one time. Like, As, mm. A sketch, a dream, and a sex offender's witness statement. <laughs> I know like, what it's the hell? like the, circumstantial is a stretch even like, yeah it's crazy it's literally like a nightmare like I couldn't imagine living it I would be like what the f like what kind of like parallel right. like, universe no wonder he feels resigned because you're like how do I defend against this like yeah. that guy like is having a dream I mean it's crazy it's crazy so six months at, after the hearing they found out that no they had denied it like Ryan was gonna stay in prison I don't know how that like on appeal. Happen. Yeah, so like it was. Um, they he had ineffective counsel. Yeah, they had upheld Ryan's sentence for like whatever reason. I literally, literally, we're gonna get into why I think they like fu they fucking railroaded these kids because well, they charged him in like what twenty four hours. They're yeah. Like, oh, you confessed. Yep, it was you. <laughs> no, the whole thing was fucking crazy. So, um, and he rendered. Oh, that was what was wild too. He rendered this decision on the anniversary of the murder. Oh, so everyone's emotions are high. Yeah. They're like, yes, we can't like let someone walk. We have one guy. Exactly. Or two guys, but like one guy. 
Ryan, poor Ryan. No. One guy yeah. at trial. <laughs> and, um, and Erickson had even come in and, like, apologized and everything and said, like, he, he had been one of the people that had testified as well, you know, and, like, recanted himself. So, basically, we've got too two late, people. Too little, too late. But we've got two people now that have said they've committed perjury on the stand, but yet this, his sentence gets upheld. It doesn't make any fucking sense. It doesn't make sense that it's not going to an appeal. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, and, um, yeah. But anyways, skipping over, and also you would think that, like, you know, maybe there's going to be some backfall for Kevin Crane on, like, his shit, you know, because he's, like, obviously fucked up. But I guess maybe because they didn't get this hearing, you know, maybe that's why he didn't. But shortly after this, you know how um, Bill Ferguson's pretty much a badass? Well, (laughs) um, Crane was um, speaking at this, like, commencement hearing for university students, you know, graduating and everything. And Bill was like, no, fuck that. And he flew up plane overhead (laughs) (laughs) the speech that said free ryan ferguson (laughs) i think that's so funny he was like no i need my son out of jail so the balls (laughs) amazing and taking it into his own hands i like it (laughs) so and also to that point he was like no we're gonna appeal this so they they did they took it to the western district court and he said he'd even looked into like all of the appeal steps so he looked into what he would have to do next so if this court didn't work he'd have to go to the Missouri he's Supreme like going Court. up the ladder. Yeah, yes. and he was like, we'll go to the actual Supreme Court. And then he's like, I even looked into what we do at the World Court. And I'm like, there's a World Court? I didn't know there's a World, I didn't world know Court. There was a World Court, so you okay. can just keep appealing, I guess. Well, shit, if you're innocent, you're innocent. You're- so, I mean, keep <laughs> fighting. Um, but thankfully, this court, the Western District Court, was the last step for the Ferguson family. They get a little bit out. <sighs> yeah, so they vacated Ryan's sentence entirely and promised they would not refile charges against Ryan because he had presented overwhelming evidence of his innocence. And this happened almost 10 years after he'd been convicted. He lost 10 years. He served half of, almost half of Chuck's sentence. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like... Oh. Yeah. So since Ryan, I guess that's why we remember his name. I mean, he is a victim of the system. It's crazy. And there was such a social media because Bill was like not giving up. So he turned to social media. There was free Ryan, Ryan Ferguson, like hashtags, everything like going but on to speak to like the privilege of his. If he had, if he didn't have his dad fighting for him, dad, if he didn't have, you just money, be in prison. If he didn't have the status of like honestly like race and being mm-hmm. maybe a male. You know, like you just right. kind of wonder, like, you yeah, just had to serve it out. Exactly. There, would have been, been done. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. So since his release, Ryan has become a host of an MTV series called Unlocking the Truth. What? I know he's got a really cute girlfriend too. I creeped Aww, him on social. I'm so happy for yeah. Him. So good for him. Live your life. Yeah. <laughs> Please live your life and do it like to the utmost. He even like, he has a, to make up for those 10 years. Exactly. Like nothing can like, yeah, yeah. Exactly. He even like posted a photo with his dad, like getting a beer recently. And I was like, oh. So good. Um, and he got $11 million, or $11 million, not $11 million, $11 million, it's the wine, but it's good. Um, that still wouldn't have got him out, of, out on bail. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That still wouldn't have gotten him out of bail. That's like half of what they were asking for his bail That's money. That's why it's like so extraordinary that that amount was set. That's million. They're like, yeah. eh, just draw it out of a hat, $20 million. Yeah, but, but he did win $11 million um, in reparations for the state. So... It's something. That's got to be like a lot of reparations. I feel like anytime we hear of anyone actually getting out mm-hmm. um, and getting reparations, it's not that much. Not that much, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Something. And as of right now, Chuck Erickson's still in prison. I have mixed feelings because he's the one that kind of like put this wheel into motion. I, I had um, feelings too about that because I was like, you know, kind of to hell with him. Like, he's but, the one. 
But this Ken case Heinholt. is still closed then, right? Exactly. I mean, if you confess, no one's, no one's, they're not looking for the real murderer. Exactly. So that's like, so that's why we should care about this case. Like, I just think it's like so important to still care about all of this just because no one, I knew so much like before researching this case about Ryan Ferguson, I knew jack shit about Kent Heinholt. I, I was going to say, that's why Kent Heinholt's name doesn't ring a bell, but Ryan Ferguson's does. Exactly. Unfortunately, I mean, he had to fight really hard to get out. But tell me about Kent. Um, yeah. Kent. Yeah, so there, you couldn't even, like, find simple things um, on it. Like, who initially found his body? Maybe those two guys, but, like, you couldn't, you know, um, who was he? You know, I can see yeah. sports editor. There are some nice, like, um, articles that his friends have written, which is, is kind of nice to see. Um, there's also a Facebook group um, that's called Justice for Ken Heinhold, which I would highly suggest you follow just because um, it does have a lot of information on who he was, um, what he was all about. Uh, but it hasn't been updated since 2018, which is really sad. Yeah, because it seemed like it was run by friends and family. So I kind of wonder, I'm like, what happened? I heard, I saw like a rumor in one of the threads that maybe that person had passed. But I'm like, God, it just fucking sucks because he just seems to be totally railroaded. I don't know if he was married. Like, I don't know if he had kids. It's just really sad. Well, he sounds like a marvelous person. He did sound like a So, I mean, what we know is like... Yeah, and like the kitty thing, like like being you know, I'm I'm such a cat. I I rescued a cat from a bush in Target, (laughs) so hmm. near and dear to the heart, very dear to the heart. Yeah, so um, I yeah, so I had even like written in my notes here. I was like, you know what, like to hell with Chuck Erickson, but Ken's real killer is still out there. So you know, I was thinking about like what we could do, you know, concerning this case and like what kind of the future was looking at. And I was actually looking at some interviews that Ryan had done shortly after he was released. And one of the interviews, he had said that if you look at the case, if you even glance at it, you know who killed Ken Heinhold. I was going to say, there's a murderer out there. Like, can someone catch him? I know. So let's try to catch <laughs> No. So this is all theories. <laughs> based I know. Based on Disclaimer. evidence. Disclaimer. Yeah. We're not, we are not trying to convict anyone of murder. <laughs> However, let's look. Take a second glance. <laughs> let, right? Yeah, let's, just, let's mean, just take a, another look at the night of November 1st, 2001. Well, the morning of November 1st, 2001. Um, I feel like we need like a montage, like a rewind. Yeah. Okay, Catherine Zellner. November 1st. Catherine Zellner's face pop up. Rewind it all. Okay, so, and he had said, like, okay, doesn't matter. Okay, so deep dive. And I went back into, like, the case. I was looking at the court documents and all of that fun stuff. And let's all go back to what the police should have initially fucking done and look at the last person to see Kent Heinholt alive that let's night. Let's start there. Yeah. The last person work. to see him. <laughs> so that was Michael Boyd. Michael Boyd was only initially interviewed twice after the murder. Now, remember, he was the one that I had said that Kent had seen leave that night. Like, they like, kind yeah. of almost left together, you know? Right. Um, um, so Michael Boyd, <laughs> Michael Boyd was only initially interviewed twice after the murder. Remember that the 911 call of yeah. finding Kent's body, that went out at 2.26 a.m. So less than 20 minutes. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. keep 2.26 in your, like, head. Um, the first time that Kent, that um, Mike was interviewed um, was the night that Kent was murdered. He was interviewed at 3.30 a.m., so literally, like, an hour after the murder. Okay. And he, in this Freshest. Account, Yes, very fresh. In this account, he said he left promptly at 2 a.m. as he exited the Columbia Daily Tribune's doors and into the parking lot. And he okay. ran into janitorial staff Mike Henry, and they talked for two or 10 to 12 minutes. So he's outside the doors chatting. Okay. Um, Kent walked past them out of the building to his vehicle. So he's kind of like walking by them, right? Like casual conversation. Kent leaves. Yeah. 
Boyd then says he talked to Kent by his car, talking about the cat that had been scratching his tires, which is, that's a weird... Cat scratching your tires? I know. It kind of makes sense because Kent was, like, such an animal lover, but I'm like, does a cat do any damage to tires? I don't really think so. I've never heard of a cat scratching tires, um, and you're, like, literally standing there with him while he's about to get murdered. Like, yeah, I mean, they didn't know that, but... But, I mean, <laughs> but, like, just challenging this a little bit, so, okay, mm-hmm. just... Okay, you're, like, standing with him at his car. Yeah. Okay. So, um... But yeah, so they said they. He said that the convo ended at two twenty, and he went to his car and drove off. Two that that's like minutes yeah. before this this happened. Yeah, and and this was like I imagine like eleven blows. That's gonna and then he had the killer had to take Heinholtz's belt off of him, you know, strangle him. So that's that's. That's a, literally like while he'd be driving off. Exactly, he also robbed his car. So it's almost like putting himself at the scene of the fucking crime. But anyways, so that was the first time he was interviewed. We're going to the second time he was interviewed, and it was around midnight on November the 1st. So literally, like, the day of the murder, but, like, kind of the day after. Yeah. Um, he, he, this time, he said that he had left and talked to Mike Henry again and then went to his car and was playing with his radio when he saw Kent walk out the door. So now we've changed the story totally. We are in our car now watching Kent Should leave. be, like, red flag. Like, you were the last person that was with him, and mm-hmm. you're changing your story. Yeah. Like, less than 24 hours later. It's not like you all forgot what happened that day. Exactly. It's literally like day of. You're like, no, never mind. I wasn't talking to him. I was in my car. <laughs> I was. I was in my car. I wasn't anywhere. I was near playing him. with my radio. Well, well, then he says. Then he says. Um, he pulled his car up behind Kent's and had a three to five minute conversation with him. Says he noticed nothing suspicious and leaves between two twenty to twenty five. So keep in mind, nine one one called at two twenty six. So he's yeah, like one minute himself, before the murder, he's put himself at the scene. Yeah, this murder, this brutal, brutal murder, took place in one minute. He was like, I was with him at two twenty five. Yeah. So story number three, he wasn't questioned again until February fourteenth, Valentine's Day of two thousand five. This is his third interview. This was conducted over telephone. Boyd said he went straight to his car and sat and listened to music from a cassette tape. Remember the days until he noticed the victim walking out to his car. So we're kind of keeping the same story as story number two said that when he saw Kent, he started to leave, but stopped behind Kent's car to talk to him between 2.10 and 2.15. So we have moved that time way up. He's like, no, I wasn't there during the murder. No, no, no. I was there before. Yeah, and that lasted about two minutes. So not like five to ten. We were like two minutes No, it was a quick conversation now. Yeah, yeah, before he left. Boyd said he drove north out of the parking lot, observed Kent's lights turning on, saying that Kent left the parking lot as soon as he did, and then he got emotional, so he had to take a break. Then when he restarted, or um, then then he restated that he pulled out of the parking lot and assumed Kent was behind him. He was then asked if the police were aware that he was the last person to see Kent alive that night, right? Because that's like a big thing. You're the last person to see someone alive. Mm-hmm. So, duh. Um, and then they asked, and he said, yes, they, they were very much aware I was the last person, right? And then they asked um, if they checked his clothes, photographed his car, photographed the interior of his car, gone to his house, searched things, you know, because as yeah, that's just you're normal. the last person. This seems like process. Yeah, definitely. And Boyd said that no, they had not done that. And why in the world would they do it? Because you were the last person yes. seen with Kent. So the officer was like, um, yeah, you were the last person. That's normal protocol. Like, it wouldn't have been like, we're not like suspecting that's not, like, weird. you. It's just like, yeah, that's what, I mean, what is it? Like, the husband always did it, or, right? So like, it's right. like. Like, whoever was with you last. last. Let's start there. Exactly. So um, he responded to, to the detect, or he responded to like the um, interviewer. He was like, um, well, I know Detective Short. <gasps> 
No. Yeah. And he said, and he knew Kevin Crane, prosecutor <gasps> Kevin Crane, really well. I just made oh me so gosh. angry. I had to like walk He's away like, from call Kevin computer. Crane. He'll vouch for me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I like want to scream. Anyways, he said, I knew um, Detective Short and Kevin Crane very well. And he'd even contacted prosecutor Kevin Crane before this interview to make sure that it was all right for him to talk. Oh, no. No, no, no. He's like, that's, that's. That's so awful. I am my speechless. I'm sorry. <gasps> yeah. Well, because it's so awful. Yeah. And I think it should be noted here. Like after this interview, it was noted that Detective Short had listed Michael Boyd's race as white after conducting the first interview. Now they're friends. Yeah. And Michael Boyd is an African-American man. Um, That's like a serious. Um, it's weird. Yeah. Like it's weird. And I don't know. Like, I don't know why you would do that. But like that's it's just the whole thing is strange to me. Strange. So, strange is an understatement. Strange. I know it's like okay to be PC, but like strange. I'm like, seems I seems like a really, stretch. Yeah, I really think <laughs> it was to make it less suspicious. Like, do you know? And yeah. like, that's a sad thing to say, but that's like kind of the world we live in. So I think he thought if he'd listed, I don't know. I just Michael think it's Boyd, like a friend, yeah. but maybe this is just my own thoughts. I'm not saying that. Like, but I just. Disclaimer. Okay. Yeah. But. Yeah. So then on his fourth story, it oh my God, how many stories bit. are we going to let him tell? <laughs> We're going to let him tell five. He's only the last person that was seen with him. We're like, this guy's got a dream. Like, let's charge them. But Listen, like, there's so much like there's, oh I've got God. way more. Like, it's crazy. So oh no. July 24th, 2005. So we're just like a couple months later, right? Well, a few months later. Um, he stated the exact same story, except now he remembers seeing two college-aged individuals standing by the dumpsters. And he couldn't identify either of them, but he didn't think at the time it was suspicious. But now he's stating that he knows someone around Chuck Erickson and, and Ryan Ferguson's age. This he's is like, oh, I kind of remember mm-hmm. there was, like, two guys hanging around. Oh, no. Yeah. Sorry, when did Ryan's trial happen? Yeah, so he was sentenced in December of 2005. And um, a couple of these were done by a private investigator. So I'm assuming that okay, was for the Ferguson so, family. Right, because they're like, wait, what was your story? Yeah. Like, yeah. tell me again what you saw? He's yeah. Like, oh, yeah, two guys. <laughs> yeah, Hello. Um, so on story number five, we're now June 5th, 2006, so like a year later. This was done by a private investigator. I have that like noted here. He now says, Boyd now says, he went to his car to listen to music on the radio. So we're no longer Not, no cassettes. cassettes. <laughs> He's like, I had a radio. <laughs> and Kent departed the building at 2.20. Um, He's like, just keep this, uh, the timeline's a little fuzzy now. Yeah. yeah. So now he says he was driving a blue car. And all of these other instances, he was driving a red car. I don't know the make and model because I'm not that type of person, but they're different make and model cars. I mean, so I know a red now, car from a blue car. Now he's like, changed his, like, his name. I know what totally. car I had in 2001. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So totally different make and model from the other, the car previously stated in the other interviews. Mm-hmm. He said he listened to about three or four songs on the radio and then spoke with Kent for four to five minutes. So he's now placed himself at the scene of the crime again. Right. He was like, I was there. I mean. Yeah. So the 911 call, yeah, so it just it doesn't make sense with the 911 call going out at, two, at 226. Um, but he then says he departed the parking lot and saw two college-age boys, so now they're boys, but now said he had almost hit them. and had. Been, oh, he almost hit them with his car. He almost hit them with his car. He was car. like, I was just listening to my song. Yeah, like, he was vibing. I was you know? over. I, I remember them. Yeah, vibing after work and everything. He didn't remember them in story one, two, or three, but. No, no. And these, these kids I almost hit. Yeah, the college-age kids. Make sure, yeah, and they were men. And boys. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, and he was scared they'd written down his license plate number. So I feel like he's trying to say there that he didn't report them before because he was like scared they were going to like report him for almost hitting him. I think, 
I you are that, that close logic. of a call with someone. I think they could be in your first story, right? Yeah, like, I think that was his law. Um, so then, 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 today, today, I was like re-looking over my nose for this case, you know, just like vibing. And then I saw a website um, that was like dedicated to the court documents and I pulled up some court documents and it said that there is a crime scene photo. Oh no. And he's in the crime scene photo. Wait, who's in the crime scene photo? Boyd. So he went no. back. He went back to the fucking crime scene that night, like hours later. Hours he's in the crime later. scene. He's oh. in the crime. He's in the back. He's peering. <laughs> like on the one. I know. Because I know. <laughs> I know. So he's peering behind a door, like looking at the fucking crime scene. And and he's in the background. So many perpetrators go back to the scene of the crime. They like want to relive it and like it's so oh. weird. It's so weird. And you're the last person to be seen with him. Your story changes like who can count yeah. five, six, seven times, and you're in the crime scene photos. Yeah. And as I said earlier he did like high school or college i think it was college like um sports um articles and those articles were all found like you know i always said there were like articles yeah. under kent's car there were they, those were the articles so they weren't articles they weren't even Kent, kent's articles yeah, they weren't even the stuff they're he like was let writing. me just drop my work bag under your car yes, at the so, crime scene yes so it's was he going well, he was probably there to like collect his articles he yeah was like hang on just a minute yeah let me just let me just get that but yeah so there's an excerpt from ryan's civil suit i want to read to you real quick and it concerns when boyd was questioned like why Watch he, those articles are like by Michael Boyd. They're like under against bar. <laughs> but this is like an excerpt um, from Ryan's civil suit about why the fuck he was in that photo. Like, why did he return to the crime uh, yeah, scene why like were hours you there? later? It was, the photo was taken like around three or four o'clock in the morning. You know, it was like hours later. Yeah, right? he was supposed to be so, leaving from work. Yes. He was exactly. already done so with his why? job. I'm not going back to work, especially not after 2 a.m. Not I'm at like, three in the morning. No, I'm not going back to work. I probably wouldn't have stopped and talked to Mike Henry or to Kent either. I would have been like, I'm going. You wouldn't be like home. sitting in there <laughs> listening to your cassette tape. No, <laughs> I'm not going to vibe in the middle of the night. Anyways, so. Boyd has admitted that when he returned ho- home after the murder, he immediately washed his clothes and put on a long sleeve sh- sweatshirt. Boyd has stated that he arrived back at the Tribune at approximately 4.15 or 4.30 a.m. And that when he arrived, he saw Heinholtz's body face down. No. Yes. This is impossible as Heinholtz's body was turned face up when he was discovered by the other Tribune employees at approximately 2.25 a.m. Gross. So he, he returned knew, to the crime scene. But he yeah. knew how Kent was originally turned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh-huh. the only, only the other killer. individual that knew Heitold's body was originally positioned as the killer. So Boyd had also stated that he saw paramedics and a lot of emergency lights at the scene when he arrived. However, the paramedics had left the scene long before 4:15 a.m. In fact, the defendant Nichols had called to the had been called to the scene at 2:30, and the paramedics were already gone by the time he arrived. So he's like, let me just go home, wash my clothes. Yeah. I just happened to come back and like. Yeah. No. So, yeah, crazy. So nothing of Boyd's has ever been searched. Not his home, not his cars. Because he's friends. <laughs> With okay. It's good to have some uh, great it's friends. Nice to have these One friends. of whom is a judge. <laughs> Can we talk? Whatever. It's fine. It's not fine. It's fine. In fact, his blue car is currently missing. Remember the little blue car? So when the private investigator asked about it, he said, oh, we sold it to Enterprise Car Rental. But upon looking it up... Uh, it's still registered registered under his name. It's no, just, Enterprise knows what cars they have. Exactly. Sorry, it's that's your gone. car. So, like, whatever. His DNA has not been tested against any of the DNA found at the crime scene, any of the fingerprints, any I'm of sorry, that. sorry, it's because Chuck is still there. Like, Yeah, Chuck. exactly. Oh, no. Exactly. This is the false confession. Exactly. So it really sucks because Ken's case is essentially closed at this point in time, and Erickson is still in jail for his murder. So it really freaking blows. And who needs to be held accountable? Friggin' the stupid prosecutor 
Like, I'm I'm so mad. Uh, who pressured his witnesses to lie, who, like, used his authority, and, like, basically, I think he covered up a crime, personally. That's my own, like, whatever. But we definitely need to care about these cases because Cal- Kathleen Zellner, Miss Badass mm. Queen herself, said in the documentary that is in Netflix again, sponsor us, please. Um, <laughs> that at least watch the documentary. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, watch the documentary. It's very good. Um, and it's, it was done by like Bill and Ryan, so it's like it's mm-hmm. very good. Um, but there are two million people currently incarcerated in the United States, the incarceration nation. But like, Catherine fine. can't be everywhere. Yeah, That's she can't. Sad. She can't do everything, you know. Um, and it's estimated that a minimum. So this is like a minimum number is twenty thousand of those people are innocent, and that's a minimum. So that's that's, that's so wild. That's so sad. sad. It's I know, so and again, sad. like, because Ryan had his champion dad. Exactly. Like, and I'm sorry, exactly. but, like, yes, race, privilege, like, exactly. exposure. Expo- um, yes. And good, honestly, good looks. Ryan's a very attractive man. Yes. So uh, that's, you know, there's all he these was a young, their looking free Ryan dude, Ferguson like, signs. Yes, I'm like, it looks good. Yeah, of no. course, there's a documentary. Like, For sure. there's so many other people that don't get For that. For sure. Right? So Kathleen um, said that the problem with these cases is they're so easy to convict. But they're so hard to reverse. And that's. Well, yeah, stick by your story. Exactly. And it sucks because, like, aren't we the country of innocent until proven guilty? But mm-hmm. I feel like lately that has switched so much. It's switched, like, so much. And yeah. Well, again, I, like, feel for the jurors. I'm sorry they mm-hmm. convicted him, but they convicted him on, like, what little basic, like, skewed evidence they exactly. had. Exactly. And I'm sure if they were, like, okay, let's do some forensics yeah. on the stuff that we found and, like, let's interview um, Mike. Yes, Michael Boyd. Yeah, I'm like Mike, Michael. We're going by nicknames I, here. I know. I'm like <laughs> Mr. Boydy Boy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like mm. if we had what we knew now, there's no exactly. way. Exactly. And what sucks is like like you said earlier. I'm sure the majority of these people, these victims of the system, victims of our justice system, do not have the financial means or the support system that Ryan Ferguson had at the time of all of this, right? And it took, and just to state, like, it took Ryan 10 years. And that's, that's a He lost a 10 years. Yeah, that's Fighting huge. an upstream battle. Mm-hmm. So in case anyone wants to help out with this, like, in case anyone wants to even look into what the hell we can do, you know, about our own justice system, there's going to be, like, a link in the description to the Innocence Project. And that, it just explains, there's, like, a lot of different inv- individuals on there. If anyone's heard of the case of Purvis Payne, he's on there as well. There's so many different individuals that they're trying to help that have been wrongfully convicted that need help getting out of jail. Um, and it's really crazy. And um, I just think, like, like to kind of end things off, like, Ryan's statement from his sentencing in December of 2005, it just rings true to this day. He said... I really just want to say today, like this is after he heard he was going to be sentenced for 40 fucking years, you know. Um, He said, I just really want to say that today is a sad day because the justice system has failed not only my family and I, but the Heitholtz and the community. And it has failed because they're sending an innocent man to jail and because they're letting a horrible person run free without a care. They don't have a worry about the police looking for them, and I can't understand that. I can't see how Crane can live with himself with that just calling him out yeah i mean call spade spade yeah (laughs) but someday the truth will come out and everyone will will see that i am innocent and i will be free and that will be a great day because on that day the justice system will have finally done justice the wheels of justice are slow they are so slow they are so slow i hope that one day like do your research yeah Yeah. exactly Uh, and they can like actually convict heidholt's killer but I mean, there's a lot of work to do. A lot of work to yeah. do. It's really sad. True. So 
that's kind of the end of what I've got. But Aww. if you liked our episode, you can come follow us, hopefully, and, like, give us a yes. like. And we're going to be uploading, like, new episodes every Wednesday and do deep drives. It helps. I want to hear more stories. And yeah. give me the verdict on this wine. Oh, yeah. That's okay. Right. Okay. So, so, how was it? It was good. I really liked it, actually. Really okay. liked it. What do you I think? I actually like it, too. <laughs> For a screw top? I'm like, I had enough of this. <laughs> I, I do like it. I'm so surprised because it's a screw It's a screw top. So, I really my, didn't I, think. Yeah, my bar was not high. <laughs> <laughs> it was not high. I was like, like $20 screw sipping, top. Like, this is sipping fine. Sipping this wine the whole but time. But I've done okay on it, yes. Um, so, yeah. that's uh, But it's really good. I really like I would buy it again. And it was $20, did you say? Around that, yes. yes. It wasn't bad at all. So, it was like for like a cheaper good wine definitely and it's not um super sweet either which is nice because i don't like sweet right right it's not mm-hmm. super sweet and it's not overpowering like i mm. i feel like i can just casually i didn't even yes. realize i was drinking alcohol so. mm. that's a good sign early tipsy <laughs> innocent until tipsy, innocent till tipsy. <laughs> a Huda media production Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.